0: Nice to see you. So this is pretty amazing. I was sitting over there thinking to myself when I got to see or travel with Pat Klein a couple years back and Pat was here at our church last week. He's with Vision Beyond Borders. We went into a third world country and the best gift you can give is the Word of God. And that's what's happened. And when you look at Operation Christmas Child, it's a great thing to support because it does get the gospel out there. And the most precious gift, here's what struck me. Two things struck me. We were in in another country and I won't say where because we're live streaming this morning. We actually went into an underground Bible college. We got to go in back through alleys and upstairs and back in old buildings. And it was unnerving, I guess. Not scary, but unnerving would probably be a better word. But what struck me was when we brought the Bibles in, we brought flannel graphs in to tell the story of the gospel as well. But you know what else we brought? Beanie Babies. And these guys in this underground college, I've got them all, all their names are on the inside of my Bible. I had them sign it before we left that night. There was I think 14 of them. They were excited about Beanie Babies because they don't get those things. But here's what struck me when I was watching that. We might think, Really? These guys are all 18 years and older and they want to be excited about a beanie baby, but here's the deal. When Pat and I brought him in, we were the hands and feet of Jesus. So no matter what the gift is, it's given for the right reason. Does that make sense? But the other thing that struck me and I'll get into this morning's message is when we handed them a Bible, they started crying. Because the word of God to them is very very precious. And we have an opportunity any day of the week Wednesday nights, Sundays, whenever we do Bible studies to open up the most precious thing that we have other than the relationship of our loved ones and the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is that word. I want to know, do you look at it that way? This really doesn't have a whole lot to do with my message this morning, but maybe you get nothing else out of this morning's rant other than that. When you open up your word, do you genuinely look at this like this is a gift that God has given us? He's revealed himself to us through his word. And that's what always has struck me. So no matter what the gift is, you may be down at Walmart buying kid stuff. Listen, you're doing it in the name of Jesus and you're the hands and feet of Christ when these things go around the world. And you know what we'll hopefully get to do someday? Whatever little kid opens up that box or whatever person is delivering that box, someday we may bump into them in heaven because you went down to Walmart and bought a gift. Maybe it was a beanie baby, but you did it for the right reasons. That make sense? Amen? So go get Operation Christmas Child boxes. Get those things filled up because it makes a world of difference in people's hearts and their minds for Christ. So with all that said, if I've not met you, um, my name is Dan Canoost. I'm a high school youth, youth pastor here at the church. Pastor Dan asked me to bring the word this morning and um, with a grateful heart I said yes. So I'm going to share some things with you this morning. So hopefully this will make some sense. This is something that God laid on my heart a couple of weeks ago. We had a funeral just just recently for a young lady named Jean Faust here at the church. And I was standing back there in the the sound booth while Pastor Dan and other people were up here on stage sharing, reading poems, uh, reading letters, talking about Jean. I unfortunately never knew Jean that well. But what struck me through this, it was a beautiful Christian service. We knew where Jean was at, no doubt. The way she lived her life, the way she walked, how much she loved God, the way she served, all these different things. But what struck me is this, and I don't know if this will make any sense at all. I shared this with my wife and a few other people along the way. Jean wasn't just excited to go to heaven. She was, but she was excited to meet Jesus. That landed on me a little different when I was back there in the sound booth. I thought, you know, all of us want to go to heaven, right? Amen? Amen? Yeah, we want to go to heaven, don't we? But when you get there, do you know who's going to be waiting for you? Jesus. Jesus. The one who gave his life for you, to redeem you so that you would have the opportunity to, see, to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. So what I want to do this morning is I looked at Gene's life and it struck me and there was one scripture shared that I'm going to go into a little bit more of that scripture this morning was 1 Peter 4, verse 10 was shared. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to cover a lot more of that scripture this morning, hopefully get this squashed into the next 30 minutes or so where this will make some sense for everyone in the room. But again, 1 Peter chapter 4 is where we're going to go. Gene did this. Jean had the same, she lived her life, I believe, and anybody that could come up here on stage and, and confirm this, she lived her life with the same attitude as Jesus, simply to do God's word, will. And it, within that idea of God's will, there's, there's in Ephesians, I think it's chapter 5, where it talks about Jesus as a, an offering, a sweet aroma to God. Is your life as you sit in your chair today, are you, would you be a sweet aroma as an offering to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Because I believe Jean did that. She lived with Jesus' attitude, and because of that, she was willing and, and eager to do God's word. So this leads me into the verse that, or the scripture that we're going to be reading this morning. But what I want to do is give you just a little bit of background on Peter here. Peter was, the first Peter was written somewhere around between 60 and 64 AD, and it was written to Gentiles and Jewish Christians is who it was written to. So that's sort of the audience that Peter is writing to in this, in this scripture that we're going to read this morning. But Peter, the goal in both of Peter's letters was to do this, to help the church endure suffering. That's what these letters are really all about. When you read these letters, I mean, we think we're going through it today and we are, but you look back in history and there is a, there's horrific and tough things that these people went through. But what Peter also writes is the underlying purpose for suffering is to be molded into the image of Christ. So suffering, the underlying issue or the underlying reason for this, that God allows us to go through this, is to better develop us and mold us into the the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And with that said, Peter explains in these verses that we're about ready to read how to do that. And it breaks down in two different ways, I think, in my mind. One of them, it shows you what you need to do first, and because you've done this, then you do this second. So hopefully this will make some sense as we go through this this morning. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 this morning. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their life for their own earthly, earthly human desires, evil desires, but rather for God's will. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idol, idol, idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead. So that they might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body. But living according to God in regards to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and sober mind, and of sober mind. So that you may pray above all Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should serve so with the strength that God provides, that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ to him the glory and the power forever. Amen. There's one word this morning that I want to build this on and I'm very careful with this today but I thought about this a lot and scripture uses this word in it's attitude. I want to look at an attitude of what I believe a lady like a person like Jean would have to live her life out for Christ so that when, you, when you're in front of the church in a box laying straight that people can say the same thing about you. Yes, we want to get to heaven, but we know who allowed us, who gave us the ability to get there. But do you realize when you get there, you're going to meet Jesus? To me, that makes my head hurt a little bit. That I would think that my Lord is going to be there waiting for me. So the very first thing I want to look at this morning is a resolute attitude. It says in verses 1 through 3 therefore since Christ suffered in his body all arm yourself also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin as a result they do not live their the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires but rather for God's will for you have spent enough time in the past doing things that pagans choose to do living in debauchery lust drunkenness orgies carousing and detestable idolatry the first thing Peter does here is he takes them back to um, chapter three, First Peter chapter 3, verse 18, where he talks about how the Lord suffered and how we're supposed to be resolute in that attitude to have the same attitude as Jesus had in the midst of that suffering. He did it to encourage them because these, these Christians, Gentiles and Jewish believers, were going to be going through it. They probably already were, and they're going to go through it more. So this morning, what I want us to do is while we're looking at this idea of suffering, you may be doing okay right now as you sit in your seat. You may not be suffering, but as a believer, when someone else is, doesn't that impact you? As brothers and sisters in Christ, what other people are going through should land on us in a different way. Before we were Christians, it didn't land on us the same way because we were not brothers and sisters in the same family and in the same fight. Once he reminds them of the suffering, then he encourages them to arm themselves with the same attitude. Arm yourself also with the same attitude that Jesus had during suffering, and that is to surrender your will to the will of God and to be obedient. That was Jesus' attitude during suffering. He knew what he was doing here. He knew what the plan was. He knew exactly why he was here. Do you? I think we're here to bring glory to God's name, and out of that, we build our lives, and if we're not bringing glory to him, you go back to the foundation, start again, and build your life to the glory of God. In 1 Peter 2.21, it says this, for this is what we were called, this, for this You were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his footsteps. So you're called to this. Scripture is unique in this way. It tells us we're called to suffer. Why? Because Jesus Christ suffered. And that word suffer means to endure. It doesn't just mean to get beat on for no reason. It means to endure for something. When you look at this, Jesus didn't enjoy suffering. Do you know why he suffered? To redeem you. We sang about it this morning. To redeem you and I, he went through suffering. He didn't enjoy it. It wasn't like he was looking forward to it, I'm sure. But he did that for us. The phrase arm yourself is a military metaphor. This phrase means to equip, outfit. It's like to outfit an army with something. To give them the best weapons for the battle. And this, Peter says the best weapon is attitude. Attitude to arm ourselves with the same attitude that Jesus Christ had during suffering. That's the best weapon we've got, according to Peter. So it's not about other things. It's not about physical weapons. It's about having the mindset. Some, some translations say have the same mindset as Christ. So when we do that, I think it makes a difference. And according to Peter, that's the best weapon we have here. But I want to I pause here for just a minute, and hopefully I don't run short on time because of this. But I want to talk about what sin did, did to Jesus. I want to talk for just a minute about what sin did to him. He suffered because of sin. I'm going to read a scripture that a lot of us know, and I'm going to read it and think about this. When you have the same attitude as the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ had during suffering, this is why he suffered and what he did. In Isaiah 58, verses 5 through 8, it says this, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us is turned away on our own. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before before its shears is silent. He did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of this generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he will be punished. What did sin do to Jesus? First Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, just the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. I want to pause and see if I can, I'm, I'm, I'm a human, I'm a man, so I'm very frail in this, and I'm very, I'm, I'm not going to do this justice. But think about what Jesus did. He left heaven to come down here to redeem you in the mess of that we've created with sin. Born in a manger, headed for the cross. Arrested, isolated, arrested, beaten, had his beard pulled out, beaten with a cat of nine tails, shamed, spit on, led to the cross, hung there in shame like a criminal who had done absolutely nothing at all for you and I. He suffered, death, was buried, and three days later was raised from the grave and now sits at the right hand of the Father God Almighty. But there's one thing in there that I want to make sure I get to that I want to point out, that while he was on the cross, the majority of you in this room know this story. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Think about sin. Jesus Christ went through the suffering that he went through on our behalf to redeem us back into a relationship with him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For a moment in time, no one knows how long, there was a, there was a split in the Trinity where God the Father turned from God the Son. You see, there was a separation. Jesus was separated from the Father for the first time ever in all of eternity. And he did that for you. You know why? So that you wouldn't have to experience separation from God for eternity. Do you understand? You look at what, you look at what sin and suffering did to Jesus, and we're supposed to have the same attitude as he does? How, how dare we go on sinning? How dare we go on sinning? When you look at what Christ has done for us, for me, that's a hard pill to swallow. But what Peter makes clear in this is, we suffer to stay away from sin. Because in the middle of suffering, we don't pay attention to the things that seem to be so important before, do we? When we're suffering, our eyes as Christians are turned on our Lord to help us endure or get out of whatever we're going through at the time. But here's a question I've got. Is your sin more important to you than your Savior? Whoever's watching this on live streaming or sitting in this room, this has been something that I've done a lot of searching in my own heart this week. Is my sin more important than my relationship with my Savior? Because if it is, I think you really need to stop and consider the things that we're going to talk about this morning. So my goal in this, according to Peter, is not to sin anymore. To stop sinning. Why do I stop sinning? Because of suffering, I don't go on sinning. This means to cease. It says, my dear dear children, I have written this. But here's what I would say. It says to cease, but before I read this scripture, if you are in sin, if you've fallen back into a pattern of sin, if you've gotten yourself caught up in that as a Christian, here's what the Apostle John says. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, if you're watching this or you're in this room and you're in sin, repent. Turn back to him. Ask him to forgive you and to continue to walk with him. Here's, the, here's what you get out of the result of a... Res, uh, this is the result of a resolute attitude. Resolve. Resolve. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to live for the will of God from now on, not for my own evil human desires, as Peter says. Because of suffering, and I have that resolute attitude towards sin, I'm going to resolve not to sin against God anymore. I'm going to resolve to live for Him for the rest of my life, to do His will. To arm yourself with an attitude, the same attitude that Jesus has, is to do the will of God. That becomes your desire. Can you say amen to that as you're sitting in this room? Is your desire to do the will of God. Because you've suffered and you've turned from sin, are you willing to do the will of God? Because here, here's the deal. Psalm 37, 4 tells us this. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So in other words, the desire of my heart becomes to delight myself in the Lord, to do his will. Then I'm on track with God, that I'm walking the straight and narrow with him. Peter points out that to suffer is not just to, as a Christian, is not to just be a good witness. And again, I'm beating this point home because I want you guys to get this. It's to keep you from sinning. By the grace of God, we have the enjoyment of suffering so that we might not sin. Sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? But here's what Romans thirteen thirteen says. Let us behave decently. This struck me, and I've never noticed, never noticed this before. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime. Think back. Did you sin like crowding around in the daytime? We never did, did we? We always did it at night. After the sun went down, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing around in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery. Have you spent enough time in the past sinning? Or do you need to sin some more? Do you need to get some more out of the way? Or is this enough this morning to know what Jesus Christ has done for you, that you're willing to give your life to him and walk with him and stop sinning? Because Peter tells us you've done it enough If we were to be very honest with us, with ourselves, the good old days weren't that good, were they? (laughs) I look back at the good old days and they weren't that good. But I look back at the good old days and I rejoice because who rescued me out of the pit of hell that I was headed for from the good old days is Jesus Christ. He reached down into that pit and rescued me. So if you think sitting here as a Christian, it's tough, and you're like, this is hard. You better believe it is and we need the grace of God to do it. But you think about what you used to live like. I don't know about you, but that helps me to never get over being saved because I know who rescued me. So resolve to have the same attitude and the mindset on suffering as Jesus did. We've sinned enough. Stop it if you are. And here's what I do know because one day, God's going to come to judge the living and the dead, and He means it. So live for God's will. The second point I have is a renouncing attitude. A renounce, to renounce something means to give it up or to put it aside voluntarily. Verses four and five say this: They are surprised that you do not join in with their reckless and wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living, who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Have you renounced your life of sin? We've been, been nagging you guys about that for about the last five or ten minutes. I hope you have. Who are you resolved to live for? Are you like Daniel, or you've resolved not to eat from the king's table any longer? What you're watching on television, what you're watching at the movies, what music you're listening to, what are you feeding on? Are you feeding from the king's table? Pagans, sin, or are you resolved to live a life for God no matter what the circumstances are like Daniel did? We must fear God and not men. I think that's one thing that a lot of people would, would agree as Christians is we've lost the reverent fear of God in our society and in our culture. There's no more fear of God He's God and we're not. We have to resolve to fear God and not men. 1 Peter 13 13 says this, but if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. Some Christians, I I deal a lot with high school students because I'm a youth pastor. They fall into peer pressure horribly bad. But don't we as adults? We do the same thing. Peer pressure is a real thing. If you're young in this room, it's not going to get any easier, people. Peer pressure is never going to go away. We have to, we have to resolve to be like what Paul said. For am I now seeking the favor of men or God? Or am I striving to please men? We, if I were still striving, striving to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. That idea of being a bondservant of Christ is choosing to be a slave to something. Choosing to be a slave to Christ. Are you a bondservant to Jesus Christ? Have you chosen to be a servant of Christ no matter what the circumstance is? So you need to be a bond service and not worry about what men think. Godly living will bring persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. Not maybe, (laughs) will. And this is what we're called to that we talked about earlier in Scripture. But why? To keep us away from sin and to have the same attitude as Jesus Christ did. The suffering that Christ, that Jesus suffered was because of the way he lived his life. He suffered somewhat because of a righteous life. And they will heap abuses on you, you guys. You know this, right? You ever had that happen at work? Teetotaler, Bible thumper, dad, Dan doesn't do anything. Dan doesn't even cuss anymore. He knows God now. He's been saved by the blood of Jesus. I'm like, you better believe I have it. I'm glad they heaped heaped abuse on me. Do you realize if they heap abuse on you, do you get that it's a compliment? You understand that, right? You should say, thank you. Dan doesn't cuss anymore. Thank you. Dan reads his Bible all the time. Thank you. Dan's always praying. Thank you. Do you realize that's a compliment? We look at it as like something, oh my gosh, they're being mean to me. Knock it off. Oh my gosh, the disciples were like, they, they were amazed that they were found worthy to suffer on the Lord's behalf. But we look at it like, oh, well, you know, I just got to be quiet and sit in the break room and read my book and not say anything. no. Look at it as a compliment when they heap abuses on you. It is a good thing. They may judge us today, but their day's coming. Revenge is mine, says the Lord, right? (laughs) Hang on to that thought for just a second. I'm going somewhere with this. Revenge is mine, says the Lord. They're going to get theirs. Yeah, they might make fun of me, but someday you're going to be judged and go straight to hell because of it. That's probably not a good witness, you think? (laughs) I wouldn't do that. How about if we have the same mindset as Jesus had in the midst of suffering, and while they were heaping abuses on him, how about if we have the same mindset that he had and pray for him? Yeah, I don't want to do that, Dan. 1 Peter 2.23 says this, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, catch this, instead he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In other words, Lord... I'm yours. Doesn't matter what they do to me. You watch these kids in these other countries. You watch the joy of the Lord in people's lives. where They're just going through it. Like Pat talked about last week. You walk 10 miles to get a little piece of chicken for crying out loud. And when you get there, they tell you you can't have any because they're out. They're being tortured, beaten, put in jail, disappear. There's people in China, I can guarantee you, that are put in prison that you'll never see again. They just go away but they know why they're doing it. They know why it's happened. And Jesus tells us this, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Have the mindset of Christ, not only in regards to suffering and sin, but how about if we have the same attitude of Jesus when it comes to our enemies? To those that are heaping abuses on you. So next time you're sitting in a break room or you're in a haul truck or you're in a drag line or you're in the oil field or you're downtown at the courthouse or you're at the grocery store at Walmart and somebody starts to come down on Christians, even it might not be you, but they start talking about Jesus and they start talking about Christians and how they're holier than now and all these different things that they'll say, how about if we just do this while we're standing in line at Walmart and pray for them? How about if we have the same mindset, the same attitude as Jesus Christ and we pray for him? How about if we watch politi okay, watch, ready? I'm gonna hold the mirror up. How about if we watch politicians on television and we're yelling at the TV because we're not happy with them? How about if we stop and pray for them? I'm talking to me on that one, not you guys. That one was meant for me. How about if we just have the same attitude as our Lord does? We gotta take this serious. The third point is this our attitude of readiness. The attitude of readiness is this. It says in verse 7 to, to The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober mind, be of sober mind, and may, that you may pray. See, they expected Jesus to come back in their time when Peter was writing this book. They expected Jesus to come back, to return. He didn't. Does that dissolve the promise? No. Because in Mark and in Matthew, it makes it very clear. The angels don't, you don't know, the angels don't know, and the Son didn't even know. Only the Father knows when He's going to return. But we have to have an attitude of readiness so when He returns, we're ready for Him. To have a watchful eye for Him, to live for Him, to honor Him in what we do. So that when He comes back, we can be taken up with Him. Because we don't know what's going to happen. Make sure your, oil, your, your vats of oil are full. You've got to be ready when he comes back because we don't know. Being a Christian is not just simply putting our hope in the Lord's return. Being a Christian is making that hope in the Lord's return, making a difference in how we live our lives today. In the midst of what's going on in our world, how are you living your life today? Are you living it in the light of Christ's return? Because Peter encourages his readers to be clear-minded and self-controlled and purposeful in prayer. And I think this idea of being self-controlled, when you look at your prayer life, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. If we have a, the fruits of the spirit that are in us as Christians, and we do, we have the opportunity not to, draw from that, not to draw from that grace. But if we have the fruit of the spirit and we have self-control, shouldn't we pray with that intent, being sober-minded and being clear, not being fanatical about the Lord's return, picking dates and doing all this stuff and getting distracted, but knowing He's going to come back, and when He does, I'm ready. So be of sober mind when you being sober-minded and being alert. It kind of describes it in, in this way to me. It's looking at someone who can deal with the things of the world through God's perspective. Just the steadiness. Just being sober and just being steady in what you do. Being alert and watching out for the things of God. The shortness of times between the Lord's return. If if, if they were expecting in the day of Peter in AD 60 or 64, what's this, 2020? Are we a little closer? The shortness should make a difference, shouldn't it? We should be ready and we should take prayer seriously. We cannot just Get by as Christians. I don't think there's a person on the planet that doesn't fight with their prayer life. But if we're self controlled and we intently do it, it will help you do that. I heard it put this way one time I come in to go out. I come into the Lord's presence and pray and do my devotional time so that I can go out to battle for Him. Because you're not going to go out to battle not being equipped. You're not going to go back out to battle without arming yourself for the battle that you're going to be in. And coming into the Lord's presence helps me have the same attitude as Christ when I go out into the world. There's no place, there's absolutely no place for a lazy Christian in life, especially when it comes to our prayer life. We have, see, if we think about being, having an attitude of readiness, prayer helps us be prepared. If we don't pray, we're not prepared for anything in life, really. Because we're going out without going in. So go into the Lord's presence. Don't make it a little, oh Lord bless me this day or pray over your food or whatever that might be. Take time and fellowship with him and I'm going to say this so I don't forget. And when you go into the presence of the Lord and you pray and you read the word, do this. And listen. We're really, I'm really good about going in and asking God prayers, petitions, supplications, thanksgiving, and then I get up and go. Because I'm like, "Uh, gotta go. It's like right now I'm watching the clock. (laughs) Gotta go. Just sit there and listen. It's hard. (laughs) For me, it's like, ooh, butterfly. It's hard for me to do because I'm always constantly distracted. But if you'll just sit and listen, I promise he'll talk to you. But prayer will help you be prepared For when the Lord returns or when our time comes, because our next breath is not promised. So spend time with him. The fourth point that I have and the last one is to have a responsive attitude. Above all, love each other deeply. This is verses 8 through 11. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of us should use whatever gifts you have and received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. If anyone speaks, they should speak as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things, get that? So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever. Amen. This is, so we did all of this, understanding suffering, understanding that it keeps us from sin, understanding what to have the same mindset of Christ, being ready for his return, so we can do this. So we can have a responsive attitude and we can be at work for our Father here, in, here on earth before we get to heaven. But you notice the words above all. Above all, love one another deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Peter's making the point that this is very important. This is, a very, this is one of the core natures of God is love. And as Christians, we are supposed to love. But this idea of love covering a multitude of sins has nothing to do with salvation. Peter puts it this way, and, and he's, he's echoing Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. This is not a statement of salvation so that we don't point each other's sins, each, not, each other's sins out to be taken care of and to be addressed. That's not what Peter's saying here. But he is saying that if we love one another, we will be more long-suffering for one another, that we won't be as critical with one another. And Paul makes it very clear, I think it's in Galatians 6, how to restore a brother. How do you do that? By beating him over the head and telling him, you, no, restore them gently. Not lacking truth, not lacking substance, but to restore them gently, that's kind of the sense that you get here. Greg Worthen and I, years ago when I was in the junior high room, Greg Worthen and I did it out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where it says, if I have not love, I'm a clanging cymbal or a, 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 a clanging gong, gong, if you will. So Greg stands in the junior high room, and I was telling him about the gospel one night. This, gosh, this was a long time ago. So I, had these, I went down to the high school. They got to think I'm crazy. I went down to high school and said, hey, I need two, I guess they're called symbols. Is that right? Where they slam these things together like the monkey used to when we were kids, right? So Greg's standing in the front of the room and I'm telling them the gospel. Clang, clang, clang. They can't hear a thing. I'm saying clang, clang, clang. It's going on like this for a couple of minutes. Got done. I said, did you hear me? And they're like, no. That's what it's like to share the gospel without love. They won't hear you. To love covers a multitude of sins. That's why when you come to someone and you don't have love in your heart, and you come to a brother or sister who's fallen into sin and you don't have that love in your heart, it's like a clanging symbol and they will not hear you. I hope that makes sense to you guys. That came back to mind and it, it made me kind of laugh because it's been a long time ago when we did that. In John, first John four, seven through twelve, it says this. This is how God loves us. This this love that that Peter's talking about is to stretch, is to is to try hard to exert yourself in love. 1 John 4, 7-12 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not, does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed us His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's pretty clear, isn't it? So do it. Love covers a multitude of sins. Care for each other. And the last thing I'll bring the band up, If or Jessica, if you'll come up on stage, that would be great. It says, offer hospitality without grumbling. This is a tough one for me. Offering hospitality without grumbling is knock, 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 or ring, ring, ring. Oh, really? It's that person again. See, hospitality in this day with Peter was a way of serving out of love. This meant to love strangers. Doing God's will and taking care of those that were traveling about. Preachers would travel about all the time and they didn't have any money and they had no place to stay. So what Paul made it very clear, you know, greet this person gracefully or bring this person into your home. What Peter's trying to get across is, is this hospitality costs. Because in this day, when someone would come into a Christian's home, they didn't have food falling out of the refrigerators everywhere. So when they brought someone into their home and showed hospitality, there that that was, was a high cost of that to serve God in this manner, to take care of people when they would stop by. And it struck me with the COVID thing going on here recently. We've been per- pretty isolated, haven't we? Yeah? That's not how we're supposed to be, is it? We're supposed to be brothers and sisters. We're supposed to be in community with one another, right? Welcome Have hospitality without grumbling is this, being a good steward, managing the gifts that God's given you well, because I'll wrap it up with this. Peter talks at the end of this and he gives us two examples for the gifts that God gives and every one of us have them. Some speak and some serve, but I think speaking is part of serving, but I think serving is way more abundant and critical than what I'm doing. When you leave this place and you serve one another and you're hospitable to each other without grumbling, you're being a good steward of what God's given you as a gift that you can use to his glory. You're going to pay a price. There's going to be suffering as a Christian. But the good news is, he suffered before we did. And he showed us that through suffering, there was a goal in that. And the goal was to keep us away from sin so that we could walk with him. But ultimately through this, if we'll have the same attitude and the same mindset as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the one thing we will want to live our lives doing is not our own evil desires. Not walking with what we want, but walking in the light of the cross. Walking for God's will. Jesus said it this way in the garden, right? Sweating drops of blood. Agonizing. Knowing what he was going to go through, not just beating and hung on a cross, but separation from his Father. And he said there, not my will, but thy will be done. Jessica's going to sing us a song this morning, and it's not participatory. The words will be up on the screen. You can sing them if you'd like. Please stay in your seat, but here's what I want you guys to do. Understanding all this, the suffering that we go through is to keep us away from sin and what Jesus Christ has done for this. This little spot right here is called An altar. And this morning, it'd be a good place for you to praise him, I think, if you want to. You don't have to. You listen to what God tells you. But sometimes I think we lose sight of the fact that coming to the altar and kneeling up here in the front is not kneeling in front of a piece of wood. It's coming up and kneeling before our Savior, giving him praise or telling him your problems and asking him for help. So the altar's open, but consider this song as Jessica plays, and then I'll come up and close in prayer.